Hi, this is John Beatty, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 43 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Farbanis, and as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob? Yo. <laughs> What's up, Rick? Rick, I am, I am, this is like... I hope I can make it through today's interview because I am staring down the barrel of a hurricane oh, coming at me. Oh, no. But you know what? Nothing gets in the way of, of a podcast. Nothing so, gets in the way of Captain America fans. Yeah, that's right. So I, you know, I'm going to do what it takes to get through this just for the fans. All right. So if, if power cuts out in the middle of this, yeah. we understand. Yep. All right. So you're not even going to ask me why I went with yo? Why, why, why'd you go with yo today? What's... Well, I'm glad you asked, Bob. Uh, What's that up was, with yo that? Uh, well, that's a very common uh, hello in the '80s, and uh, considering we've got Mr. John Beatty on the on as a guest today, uh, and he was uh, the anchor on Captain America in the early '80s, I wanted to stick with the theme, so I went with yo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a bit of a. I I, I had a, a sniff of late seventies there. It seemed a bit of Vince, <laughs> Vinnie Barbarella and uh, uh, Rocky Balboa. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna call you. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know why do I have to chase these chickens? I don't understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Oh man, man of many talents. Yes. Uh, so Bob, um, you know I don't know if we mentioned this uh, before. Uh, well, we've been mentioning um, the next, let's just talk about the next episode before we um, get into this episode. Next episode, episode 44. I'm excited for it, Bob. I'm excited because it'll be our very first listener Q&A show. Yeah, this is sort of, uh, you, you know, you sort of proposed this and I was like, hmm, you know, I think you've got something there. I mean, it's, it's an ingenious concept. Well, the questions are coming in. Uh, how do you get your questions in? Well, funny you, you should ask because it's it's really two ways. Easy, uh, you can, and this is the preferred way. Okay, get this: go to our anchor uh, homepage. Right, the link is in the podcast. The link is in the posts and social media. Go there, and you can record your question. And um, if we, uh, you know, maybe you'll be lucky enough to to be actually played in this uh, in this upcoming episode forty four. Or the other way is. You can post it uh, on uh, answer one of our, our posts in the Facebook page where we ask for, for questions as well. Um, and, you know, the questions are coming in. These are pretty interesting questions. I, I, you know what, Bob? Here's an example. Here's an example we can answer. Okay. Utility belt with pouches Ooh, or yeah. no? Oh, yeah. This has been a point of, of contention. Uh, Should Cap again. have... Utility belt with pouches or no? Yeah. Now, yes. don't answer now. No, oh, don't okay. answer now. Gonna, save it. Save now. it for next week. Yeah. All right. And we'll, uh, but those are the types of things you could call in. Let's have some yeah. fun. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Focus on Captain America. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> You're going to be thinking of your answer? <laughs> they don't know. 
Yes, or you just get you could be devil's advocate, like whatever answer I give, you're gonna be like, Well, no, Rick, don't you understand? <laughs> he needs the pouches because how um, else is he going to uh get out his uh cap sandwich. laser? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good All question. Right. All right, thank you. All right, so let's get to um our guest today. Um and uh, we uh, have a fun conversation with Mr. John Beatty. John Beatty. I can't wait for this. All right, Bob. So our guest today has been a prolific ink artist spanning decades, going back 40 years. Um, he's worked on classic stories uh, that everyone seems to know, such as um, Secret Wars back in 1985. He did the Punisher miniseries in 1986. Uh, he worked on several Batman stories, including classic ones like uh, Year Three, uh, and then there was those um, Crimson Mist and Bloodstorm Elseward vampire stories. Uh, he helped launch Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, he had a, a nice run on Justice League and Superman titles. But, of course, we're most excited today to speak with him on his impressive run on Captain America. Uh, so we're and, and we're talking to none other than John Beatty. So, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And it's funny, we spoke with Ron Garney recently, and it seems like the, the two of you have a lot in common, right? So a, as a kid, uh, both of your favorite comic book characters was Captain America. Mm -hmm. um, you both eventually got to work on your favorite character. And then um, you both received help from Mike Zeck early in your career. So let's, let's start with Cap being your favorite character. I, I, I read a post on your Instagram page where you, you shared a story about right. how you first got into Cap. And, and, and you said you were on a family trip. Your mom bought you some superhero comics to read on the trip. And one of them was Cap 157, which right. was uh, introduced you to the character. So talk about why this issue made such an impact on you. Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I don't, it's hard to like really pinpoint why. Um, but I think visually, the, the, just the costume design of Captain America is so uh, powerful. It looks good from every angle that you draw it from or that, you know, it can be viewed from. And not only did I just enjoy the, the cover with all the elements going on, um, you know, Cap's like the Vipers coming at him. Uh, the Falcon's already like down on the ledge hanging off and the, the, the ledge is beginning to crumble under Cap. So there's this, you know, this whole impending, you know, like the bad guys, you know, going to win or something. But, you know, so I think, okay, that's how the story might open. But if memory serves me correct, the splash page has Cap just taking care of about three or four, maybe five, like street thugs. But mm -hmm. it's this back view of him drawn by Sal Buscema. And it's got the classic, you know, uh, muscle captain america with this great costume on which i said from any angle it just looks great so even a back view on a splash page was just really dynamic and and something about that caught my attention and and, and from there on did you always kind of have an interest in cap no i i really didn't adapt to superhero comics till a little bit later and that same story i think i mentioned i you know I, I got the little digest books of uh, Charles Schultz Peanuts and mm -hmm. Dennis the Menace. And I kind of followed those more because I wanted to be a comic strip artist. And 
eventually what happened, I think it was at my neighbor's, uh, they had a garage sale or something. And he had like a box of books and or comic books. And it was like 20 bucks. And it was probably, I don't know, I want to say he probably had 80 to 100 books or it, it was a good amount for 20 bucks. And this is when I was about 14. And I think I may have borrowed the money from my mom, you know, or just asked her, hey, can I buy these comic books for 20 bucks up the street? And I think she gave it to me. That's one thing too. I'll, I'll quickly uh, go to is, you know, my parents were very supportive of mm -hmm. my art endeavor. You know, you'll always hear that, like, you know, where, you know, you want to be an artist, your parents always discourage you. No, don't do that. You know, <laughs> and there is some truth to that too, by the mm -hmm. way, just to be clear. But, um, so I, I don't remember any Captain Americas per se being in that, but there was Avengers and stuff. So Cap was around and every book that had Cap in it, I just seemed to focus, you know, my attention focused more on his visual than any of the other characters. And maybe just the attitude that he was portrayed by the writers and the artists, you know, the, the, the heroic look, the mm -hmm. manner that, that they had him speak and stuff like that. So the acting that, that the character had. No, I, you know, I, I was actually going to ask you about that, uh, that event with the, uh, with the box of comic books and if there are any titles that you found particularly uh, memorable, but I want to follow up on that because uh, mm -hmm. I, I like what you just said about sort of the, uh, I think you characterize it as the acting, but you know, the, the, the persona of the character. Right. So in addition to the, to the visual aesthetics of it and, um, uh, that that's really interesting. I mean, I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about 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 your thoughts about that. Right. The the more I got to know Cap and be interested in him, I of course had to backtrack to see. You know, I mean, I knew a little bit about the character, but um, I remember, uh, and I didn't. You know, I didn't really click with Jack Kirby's art like right away. It was one of those things that I just didn't understand. You know, mm -hmm. it was like, what is this? You know. But, you know, going back in the timeline and seeing how Steve Rogers became Captain America with the super soldier serum and and that it was it was kind of, I guess, also, you know, as a kid, I would stay up and watch the old uh, war movies on TV, you know, on mm -hmm. my like small black and white TV set that my dad had. So I'd be up at 2 a.m. There'd be like an old war movie on Battle of the Bulge or something, you know, and I would watch that. So that World War II connection with Cap and then that history, you know, it was just kind of of interest to me. So it was something um, also uh, believable, you know, that this character could actually exist in the real world. Um, whereas some characters just, you know, they're a little further out there. So he sure. was more grounded in reality for me to a degree, you know? Um, but yeah. I, and then just like I said, his attitude of, you know, here we are, you know, right before the 4th of July. And it's, it's like, you know, it just seemed like it was a good representation. And especially, you know, as knowing when he was created of, you know, something that Americans could get behind. You know, John, I, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm 53, right? And I've been reading cops, uh, cap, mm -hmm. cap uh, comics for a long, long time, but I have never 
put that sort of logic together in my head and you just made it click for me, uh, yeah. which is amazing because, you know, we, I mean, we're still learning stuff about cap and, and guests like you sort of uh, bring, bring a whole new perspective. But I used to watch all those world war II movies like religiously. Right. Yeah. When I was a kid and I never made that connection about that was an aspect of cap that I really found interesting to me. Uh, and it sort of meshed with that other interest of mine. I, it never, it, it never even occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like I said, going back and, and looking at the older comics and not the ones from, you know, the 40s, because I didn't have access to those, but just the ones like the, the short uh, Tales of Suspense, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, where they would have the sleeper and the red skull and, you know, you, they played a little bit more, they could, you know, introduce uh, the bad guys being the Nazis, whereas today it's kind of, you know, it's that thin line where you don't really cross that anymore because the way culture seems to be now, it's, it's very sensitive. And I understand that, you know, I get it a hundred percent. But, you know, it, it, it really is based in history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. That's interesting. And I, I want to go back to what you had said about how you, you focused on the comic strips and you, mm -hmm. you, you had an early age, wanted to be a comic strip artist. And then that eventually turned into you wanted to be a comic book artist. So talk about how, as, as a teenager, uh, you, you got to work with guys like Bill, Bill Black and, and Bob McCloud uh, and, and paid your dues. Yeah, I actually, uh, there was a convention um, simply called Orlando Con <laughs> when I was young and... I found out about it. Maybe you guys remember this newspaper, the Comic Buyer's Guide. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember how I even found out about that. But I found out about it. I sent away for a sample copy. I got that. I think I started my subscription with issue 94, you know, and that was like your news source. And that's where, you know, you see... Uh, they would have a little bit of news features, whatever they could, but mostly it was advertising and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. one of the other aspects I liked about it was they would showcase fan art on the cover of their paper. You know, it was like a newspaper every week. Mm -hmm. And I did eventually, I, I think when I was around 17 or so, I sent in like three eleven by 17 cover illustrations. I remember one was of the Spectre one was dead man and the third one i can't remember i was kind of in a neil adams phase thing right, <laughs> that's right. why those characters and i remember they rejected them but they actually sent them back but they sent them back to me like folded over and put in an eight and a half by 11 envelope oh <laughs> and so I was, you know i was kind of like oh gee thanks for sending my artwork back you know you didn't keep it but did you really have to fold it? You know? I know. Oh, that's horrible. So, yeah. you know, from there it, it, it opened up, you know, I started seeing, and I think that may have been where I saw uh, the cartoon museum, which was run by, and you know, my friend, Jim Ivy, uh, who I think turned 96 this year, he's still, still up and around. Mm -hmm. And um, so he had this Orlando convention and there were a lot of retired cartoonists in Florida. So he would have, this guest list and they had this little private banquet that you had to be invited to every year. And um, so I met a lot of uh, people and, and 
you know, people that I admired um, and saw a lot of people go through that show. So eventually, uh, I can't remember when the first one was. I was probably 15. My parents drove me over for the day they they entertained that you know and let me go in and it was in a it was in an old hojo uh you know it was a hotel con you know and and uh uh so then the following year i think my friend craig zablo and i they they i'm not sure if it was still at 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 the howard johnson's it may have been so we went that year it was still a day and then the the next year they decided to make it a two-day show, I believe. So we wound up uh, going over the day of the show, getting a room, spending the night, and doing the two-day event. And from then on, it was, you know, we got to know Jim Ivey. We we would go over to his, it was a comic shop. It had original art and all that type of stuff, uh, back issues. So I could, you know, really just go through and, and uh, look for back issues of stuff, which I had missed out on because I wasn't collecting comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but also during that time leading up to that, I had started, you know, my interest had shifted into the comic book medium. And so I was doing like most kids uh, my age, uh, you know, every Saturday I would head out on my bike uh, to maybe five or six, you know, maybe a bookstore, convenience stores, any place that I knew sold comics use bookstores, try to find some back issues there. And, uh, you know, so I'd spend most of Saturday morning making the rounds and then getting home, you know, a little bit after lunch and, you know, sitting there and reading my comics. Nice. So talk about how you, you worked with Bob, Bob McLeod. Okay. So I met Bob at one of the Orlando conventions and he wasn't an announced guest. Um, I want to say I was 17 at the time that this happened. So uh, I stopped by Bill Black's table because he was like the very first table when you walked in the door to the left and he had this, you know, display of all his prozines, fanzines, you know, whatever you want to title them as. And I started a little conversation with him, you know, and I actually had some samples in my portfolio that I brought along. and. You know, so I showed my work to Bill and he liked it. And, you know, he's like, wow, you know, uh, would you be interested in doing some work? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and this was back in, boy, I can't remember the year, probably 77, 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so through, you know, having that conversation with him, I think it was, again, goes back to my friend, Craig Zablo. I think Craig Zablo overheard Bob talking to Jim Ivey, the guy that put the show on stating like, Hey, uh, just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Bob McLeod, anchor from Marvel comics, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Craig told me, he said, Hey, you know, Bob McLeod's here. And I had had a vague knowledge of Bob. I don't know if he had inked, um, the stuff that I think I first remember Bob, well, he had inked some stuff. I think it was a justice league or something over Jim Sherman at DC. But what I really noticed Bob's work for is when he inked moon Knight and this other story may have been a star Lord story over Bill Sienkiewicz in the black and white comics. Mm-hmm. So 
I, you know, I went up and I started talking to Bob and showed him my stuff. And we, you know, he asked me where I was, you know, from and stuff. And I told him Daytona beach. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how it got to the point where, um, I started assisting him, you know, where he felt like I was good enough or he was comfortable enough to like have me come over. So I would drive from East coast to West coast. And at first Bob just started me out literally like erasing pages and maybe filling in some black areas, but not up to where the, the fine line stuff was just, you know, filling in the big black areas and he would do the finesse type mm -hmm. stuff so that I wouldn't, you know, accidentally go in and cover something that wasn't supposed to be covered. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, and then one time I was over there and I was like, Oh, come on, Bob, let me, let me rule some lines or something. I'm getting bored here. <laughs> and so he did, you know, and, and, uh, so we had that connection. It was actually Mike Zek though, who I met first. Um, right. I met him when I was 15 through a, a fan letter, uh, Mike's work just kind of got on my radar through this um, two things, a used bookstore that had his Charlton comic books. And I don't know where the used bookstore was even getting them from because they weren't being sold on any of the newsstands I went to. And these were actually used books too. They weren't like they were getting them as new. You could mm -hmm. tell they were read. And so every time I saw that name, Zach, or saw that style that I knew was his, I would pick that stuff up and the second place was rocket uh rbcc rockets blast comic collector which i got to know that through comics buyer's guide mm -hmm. and so i would you know i started ordering that um back issues and stuff uh through the comics buyer's guide and i just you know i gave it a shot i i wrote mike a fan letter um Little did I know that Mike lived down in the South Florida area. Um, the magazine uh, was being published in Miami. And, and for those knew, who don't, don't know, uh, John was living in Florida at this time. Yeah, I, I was still in Daytona Beach. So yeah. and pretty much been here my whole life. I think three months, I was born in Kentucky, but I think my family after three months moved to the Daytona area. I was in Orlando for 10 years in the 90s. Then I moved back to Daytona. So, uh, yeah, so it was weird. It, it, the actual address on the envelope from Mike said Hollywood. I saw Hollywood. I didn't know at, at 15 there was a Hollywood, Florida. So <laughs> when I saw Hollywood, I was like, oh, great. He's in California, you yeah. know. And then I saw the Florida and I'm like, this is odd. I don't know of no Hollywood, Florida. Where is this, you know? And uh, I found out in um so mike and i corresponded uh a little bit through the mail he had actually sent me master of kung fu pencil uh pages that oh he, very nice yeah that he had you know completed and it, it wasn't out yet and so he gave me that as kind of some professional pencils to practice on wow. and i inked a few panels sent them back and he critiqued them and you know i was having both him and Bob, you know, critique my work pretty regular. And uh, so that, you know, was a good thing. And eventually, um, I think it, I, you know, this was one of those things where I, I think it was just um, 
when you could just look somebody up in the, you know, call 411 and <laughs> ask for a city and get their phone number. Yeah, the yellow pages too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ex- well, I didn't have their yellow pages, you know, so I had to actually call information. And it's kind of funny because the first call that I made, you know, this is, I was still, you know, like I said, I was 15, maybe 16 by this time. You know, you got to ask mom's permission or dad's permission because it's not like today where you pay yeah. one fee and you can, you know, it was like expensive to make a long distance. Right. right. Yeah. The yeah. bill shows up and they're like, who, who, who made this call? <laughs> you called, you called New York. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I asked her, I said, Hey, I, I want to call this guy, Mike Zek. Uh, it's going to be long distance. Um, I was, I was making some money doing some cartoons for a local publisher at the time. I said, when the phone bill comes in, I'll, you know, I'll pay you, but you know, I'm only going to be on 10, maybe 15 minutes, you know? And so she's like, yeah, go ahead. You know? And, um, so I remember calling and asking for Mike and this guy gets on the phone and little did I know it was his dad. <laughs> it's like, so I'm, I'm talking, you know, he's like, hello. And I'm like, Mike. And he's like, yeah. And I said, Hey, this is John Beatty, you know, calling you from Daytona beach. And he's like, who? <laughs> what are you trying to sell? Exactly. I said, <laughs> I said, it's, it's me, John Beatty. You know, I, I asked my mom if I could call you and, and she said, yeah. So I hope you don't mind. And he's like, I don't know who you are. And I said, this is Mike Zek, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, okay, we've been writing each other, you know, and I just figured I would call you. And then it dawned on his dad. He said, oh, you must mean Mikey. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, well, is your son a comic book artist? He goes, yeah. He goes, let me get him for you. So there's where that kind of, you know, and I, yeah, I was about ready to just say I must have the wrong number because I thought maybe I had the wrong Mike Zek. Uh, but that's not a very common name. So, uh, you know, from then we, we you know, we would still correspond through the mail. Uh, I would give him a call when I could. And then I remember uh, it was kind of interesting. Um, he disappeared for a few months, like two months or so. I hadn't heard from him. No letter. I'm like, well, you know, don't know what happened. Uh, I didn't call to try to, you know, bother anybody. So one night uh, I got a phone call and this person, it was kind of the opposite. Now someone's calling me saying, hey, it's Mike Zek. And I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yeah. I said, where have you been? He goes, oh, I moved to Connecticut. So he had about a couple months move where he was, you know, uh, going back and forth. Uh, moving stuff and he just didn't have time for correspondence but that's just the kind of guy Mike is that he you know he he he, I guess he felt like he owed me a call he gave me his number up there and um, you know we we had a nice conversation and I'm sure you know Mike could afford a little more phone time (laughs) but it it took a while because then I felt like how his dad must have when you know Mike's calling me and saying yeah, it's Mike Zek. And I'm like, no, this isn't Mike. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't, who's, who's pulling my leg, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. I, I can catch you off guard. Exactly. Then, it really did. And then Mike um, basically helped encourage you and got, help you get your break into, into Marvel and DC. Right. So that's, that's how you get your foot in the door. Right. Um, 
Mike would always, uh, after an issue came out when he didn't need pencil copies, you know, for anything, instead of throwing them away, he would always, you know, he would make copy of his pencils before he turned them in. And um, he would send me the plot that Doug Minch was writing on Kung Fu, which was a sizable plot. And then I could also see where he would take the the paragraphs and kind of circle what was going to be a page and then break that down, you know, on the plots. And then he would send me Xeroxes of the penciled pages. And sometimes there would even be original like cover roughs and stuff in there, um, which was nice. <laughs> so it was great, you know, and it's like, so I had these pencils that I, you know, were professional level pencils instead of just my, you know, attempt at drawing. So mm -hmm. that I could, you know, kind of, you know, work on something that was that was at a professional level and help polish my work and, and improve it maybe a little quicker than if I was struggling, you know, uh, working on, like I said, trying to do my drawing and inking at the same time, which I did. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, nowadays I think it 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 might be a little easier to to do the penciling and inking due to all the easy reference. But back in my day, when you had to reference something, you were out at libraries looking for books or bookstores. Um, you had to have an extensive physical library, whereas mm -hmm. today you don't really need that. And, and so shortly thereafter, I mean, we're talking within a couple of years, max, um, mm -hmm. you know, Mike's starting on Captain America, he leaves Master of Kung Fu, he goes over to Captain America. And um, with issue 262, uh, you you help him out on the cover. Right. And then with 265, uh, you're, that's the first time that the two of you did the interiors for Captain America. Uh, and this went on for a couple dozen issues between 1982 and 1984. Because um, then you went, you went on to ink Mike's work on, on Secret Wars when he left right the, right. the sequel mm -hmm. wars miniseries and then the year later the punisher miniseries and more um and you you still work on commissions with him to this day um it, it isn't often to see a penciler inker partnership like this so what is it about working with mike that's lasted 40 years um that's a good question that's a real good question um i you know I think since I've known Mike, since I was at such a young age, he was like the big brother I never had. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of, you know, I, Mike had no brother. He's like, he's the middle kid. He's also the only son. I'm the middle kid. I'm also the only son. So <laughs> I don't know, you know, if there's anything to be said for that, but, um, you know, Mike has always been a great person to everyone he's met. You know, it's like, he's always encouraged people, uh, you know, like at a convention or something, somebody will come up and he'll give them tips on their portfolio and stuff. Uh, used to be that that was, you know, what a lot of people came to shows for. But, you know, now with the internet and stuff, you can get your work out there. So it's not as prevalent. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mike and I just kind of, you know, his family became mine, my family kind of became his. Um, he stayed here in Daytona at my place while he was, you know, actually doing some Secret Wars work. Uh, I had stayed down at his family's house during the Miami cons, which is where uh, Shooter and a lot of people would go. And that's where, you know, 
Um, that's where I first met Jim Shooter was at a Miami convention. And I know he was the guy that could actually hire you to, to do a job. And so, you know, Mike and I have just remained friends more than anything over the years. And as, you know, as we still work together, when we do, uh, conventions, um, we still have good communication, you know, we'll discuss a sketch and if Mike has an idea or if he, you know, wants to say like, I'm going to play around with this a little bit more. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it black, let's think about it or something, you know, um, mm -hmm we still have this really good communication between us. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really don't know what it is. I mean, you know, there's so many people that have worked together in the business that they don't want to be at the same show as each other, let alone sitting <laughs> right next elbow to elbow that Mike and I do, you know, I mean, we finish each other's stories at conventions or, you know, we say the same stuff at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of, you know, I, I don't know what to call it, but there's some sort of synergy that Mike and I have that uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy for it because, you know, Mike's been really a good friend and a good, I'll call him a brother to me, um, mentor, whatever, all the other, all the other words that you could use to describe somebody important in your mm -hmm. life, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. he's, he's been that sounding board for me. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a good journey and I look forward to a lot more time with Mike too. Yeah. I have to say it's, it's been one heck of a partnership. I mean, I, I you know, later, I mean, I've always, I, I got my start with um, Captain America uh, 286. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's when I started reading cap on a regular basis and uh, I haven't stopped since. So it's, right. it's been, you know, ever since then, but the, the interesting thing is now that I've gotten older and I, I have the ability to, to get original art. Um, I, I look at some of these pages and I, I do, I, I own a few pages um, that both you and Mike worked on in cap. Uh, I mm -hmm. recently got um, a page from 265, which was the first issue right. we two did together. Yep. And, and I also have a couple other pages and, you know, I could totally see to, maybe I'm biased, but, you know, I, I look at the work that you did with with Mike, and I compare it to some of the other inkers before you came on board with Mike, and there's a distinct difference. Right. And, and I mean, I'm I'm right now looking at my wall, and there's a page from 259 and a page from 287, and and your 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 work on it is just uh, is so distinctive as far as um, it's just complementary. You know, it's right. it it doesn't look like you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but, but it, it's been one heck of a partnership for sure. Well, and, and, you know, truthfully, that was one of the things I, I think that, um, kind of worked in my favor to a degree during that period of time when Mike was getting into the business, it was basically, you know, they just gave a book to whoever needed an inking job. You know, somebody came in and was looking for work and they had pencils, they could walk away with it. They, there was, you know, people that were called, you know, so-called teams and stuff that, that were working on the same book month in, month out. Uh, they were probably, you know, distant. They probably didn't have communication like Mike and I did. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, you know, Mike kind of jokes around that, you know, I, I, I was his hand picked inker and he could, you know, kind of groom me to ink how he wanted me to, <laughs> uh, which there's some truth into that, because like I said, you know, I, I always respect, you know, whatever penciler I'm working with and what they put down. And I don't want to just haphazardly change anything that's not necessary. Um, but with Mike, it was like, you know, his pencils uh, at that time, they were, you know, they weren't like the pencils you see people produce today, you know, where it's literally so tight, you know, inking is really not a necessity. So uh, Mike and I, yeah, hey, that's a great example right there. Um, Mike and I really kind of, you know, like I said, we, we would talk jobs over, talk pages over. If, if I had a question, you know, and I happened to be up at his place or whatever, I could say, Hey, Mike, I don't understand what you're trying to do here, you know? And he might sketch it out in a marker or something, kind of give me a little art direction or mm -hmm. something or explain it better, or just tell me, Oh, this is some, refer you know, I'd be like, what is, what is this weird shadow you got here? And Mike would go, oh, that's some ref reflected light coming from this, you know, and it just give me kind of, you know, a point of, I don't understand it and explain it to me, you know, mm -hmm. and he would take that time to do it. He just wouldn't blow it off as like, you know, you should know this stuff. It's like, if I didn't know something, I didn't feel bad, you know, addressing the problem and going, okay, I'm confused here with what you drew. Yeah, <laughs> I can't figure it out. Sure. So I think. I think the communication has a lot to do with uh, building a, not only a, a, a trust relationship, but a quality relationship. And that was one thing that Mike and I tried to always do is our best quality. Now, uh, having said that, I will say, yes, we had deadlines thrown upon us that, you know, you'll see some pieces that are great and some pieces that are really rushed out. And those are the ones that we don't like to see, but you know what, in the big scheme of thing, that's history. You know, sure. that's just the way it is for everybody. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't had jobs. They've had to just rush out. So yeah, it, it's going to happen. Well, I don't know. Th these days, it seems like if you take three issues to, or three months to complete one issue, they don't care. Back in the bronze age of the eighties, man, if you were late, you could lose your job. You know, you could be kicked off the book. Right. So, um, you kind of, you know, needed to get the work done, whether you got sleep, whether you, uh, stayed up, you know, for a week straight to finish something, you know, no matter what you, you got that job in, or you might be looking for something else. Yeah. Hey, uh, John, going back to your time with uh, with Mike on Captain mm -hmm. America, you started out with a, a the David Anthony Kraft two-part story. Right. Of course, David has uh, unfortunately passed away not too mm -hmm. long ago. But that story featured Spider-Man and, and Nick Fury. Uh, and then you were part of some amazing uh, stories by uh, De Matisse. Um, right. Are there any issues that stand out as particularly memorable or sentimental or favorites to you? Um, well, you know, that's a tough... That's a tough one because, uh, you know, I haven't really reread this stuff in a long time, even though the reprint collection just came out. Um, but uh, I, you know, 
it's kind of interesting because I feel lucky that that during that period that Mike and I were working on the book, we did get to work with the, you know, the classic cap villains, you know, like oh, yeah, the red yeah. skull, you know, and, and, uh, uh, Baron Zemo. And, um, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, I'm trying to remember the covers with all this stuff on it, but sometimes we just did like the, the action pose Captain America cover. Yeah. But I, I know we, you know, we got to work on some of the, the classic villains. And then, you know, we got to work on some stuff that was kind of thrown our way, like Team America, the motorcycle yeah. thing. Which, <laughs> you know, this was some deal, I think, that Marvel had made that they were yeah. going to use them in a book. And Team America, it only seemed logical to the people upstairs that, they debuted before they got their own comic in Captain America. Right. You know, so that was not a fun issue for Mike and I. To do. <laughs> yeah. We, we actually had uh, uh, J.M. DeMatteis on and he, he, he talked about that, uh, how that was, I think the one and well, one of two times that something was forced on him. I think the other time was, was licensing was about to go out uh, on something called the defenders of world yeah. war two. Yep. So he had to throw them into like a, a newsreel, right? Uh, but but other than that, he said, you know, the um, they they let him pretty much, you know, uh, tell whatever story he wanted. So, right. uh, but but yeah, those are those are funny examples. Oh yeah, and and I remember now, you know, speaking of of JM, it's like, uh, you know, there's the first appearance and maybe the creation of Vermin. Yeah, you know, which later came back, of course, in uh, Craven's uh, Last Hunt, which Bob inked. I didn't, but. Uh, you know, it's got that, uh, you know, that tie in there. And also the, you know, I, I think the story that the storyline that most people get connected to is the one with Deathlock in it. Sure. You know, so again, that was another character that I liked growing up. So, you know, we got to work on him and, you know, some of those covers, I think the first one was 278. Um, two uh, for for Deathlock. Yeah, two eighty six. Two eighty six, where he's got Cap in his sights, and yes, you know, that's still like you know today people come up. Oh, that's my favorite cover, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, usually when I'm asked what's what is my favorite Cap cover, besides probably Cap Annual number eight, um, I really like. Yeah, yeah there it is. Can you, can you see it? Yeah. Yeah, I really like the the quiet cover of. I think it's 284 where I don't think Mike and I did the interior. It's cap oh, yes. on a ledge with just looking down at the city and the flags blowing. Mm -hmm. It's a very quiet cover, but it's, I don't know. It just, there's something about that cover that uh, is very relaxing. And yet I don't want to say exciting, but just makes you think, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it's a different pose for captain America. It's almost like a, a daredevil or a batman exactly. pose yeah. right right uh, yeah but it just really works you know it's just it's real subtle but man when it hits you it just you know it's it's nice yeah so after you and mike left cap to do mm -hmm. secret wars uh and then the punisher miniseries um mike came back to do covers for cap and mm -hmm. uh and then you came back and you inked interiors for a handful of issues right um now paul neary was the penciler at the time and i know you just said 
no, no matter who you worked on, you wanted to be respectful uh, of, of their style. Was, was Aking Paul a challenge after inking Mike for so many years at that point? And, and, and how do they compare when it comes to inking them? Well, the biggest, well, there's two big differences. Um, one was Paul Neary was basically doing more or less breakdowns instead of finished pencils. Mm. So I was, you know, uh, finishing them. But the second, I, I don't know if it's a problem, but the second thing that popped up around this time was, um, and, you know, I've got no beef with Jim Shooter. We get along fine now. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Jim got on this kick where if you have solid black in the foreground, you can't have black in the background because you're going to lose the field of depth. I don't agree with that theory because I see Al Williamson doing, you know, I look at his work and I see black in the foreground, black in the midground, black in the background reads fine to me. But if you look at that work that I did there, a lot of it seems very simplistic. And that was because Jim had kind of, I thought I was going to escape the lecture. He was given, <laughs> you know, he was, he was pulling people into his office and, he, he would pull out a job. I won't mention what job it was, but he would go over it and he would say, this, this is not good. And, and this is why I don't want to see you doing this in your inking. If you have black on the character in the foreground, don't give me a black in the background. And I, you know, I even said something about, okay, so if there's a black silhouette in the foreground and let's say Nick Fury or somebody else with a black costume or something is in the background, you're saying just leave it open. Yes. Leave it open for color. That's their job. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't, you know, so mm-hmm. the work that I did over Neary was probably, um, not hurried, but it was not to the level that I would have wanted it to be. And, um, there's a whole lot of other stuff that, kind of played into why I didn't stay on the book long, but mm-hmm. that's kind of behind the scenes politics stuff. So we'll, we'll just leave that out, you know? Okay. Um, well, let's, let's talk um, more artistic stuff then. So, okay. cause you, you mentioned that you were finishing for Paul Neri. So right. uh, now we had, we've had anchor uh, Joe Rubenstein on the show mm-hmm. uh, and he shared some insight on the difference between inking and finishing pieces. And so for our newer listeners, um, can you talk about the difference and and where where you were finishing for, for Paul Neary? What's the difference between inking and finishing for, uh, for those who, who aren't aware? Well, it, it, it will vary from depending on the penciler you're working with. Some pencilers breakdowns or layouts or, or you know, when you're finishing for them are a little bit tighter than other artists you know so they all have their own level of what they would consider um layouts or breakdowns that the anchor would then finish um basically you know what you want to see is the drawing the storytelling uh, usually the the penciler won't spot blacks that's up to the anchor um so you know you have to make decisions and sometimes, I mean, you know, I would sometimes take a photocopy of the page, take a Sharpie out, kind of, you know, spot blacks, 
before I committed it to a page. So the biggest difference is when you get so-called finished pencils, the penciler has pretty much figured out, you know, the shadows, um, the rendering, all that type of stuff, the details. And when you're doing finishes, it's up to you to make sure everything is lit from the same light source or, you know, if you're going to have split lighting or something. So in that case, for me, um, I always like to, you know, it was great when you had lettering on the board because you could actually read the story and follow what was going on. If you don't have lettered boards, you're kind of lost in the story. So you don't, sometimes you didn't catch the mood of the story. Um, a lot of pencilers, you know, layout stuff, they might let you know if it's a night scene. So then you would light it and ink it different than you would if it's noon, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the difference is, you know, it's 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 a matter of uh, it's a it's a matter of level of, of what work an inker puts into it um, on their own versus what's already there for your interpretation, at least. That's the way I like to look at it. Like I said, I don't really like to change much on a penciler to overpower their style. Um, I like to try to retain what I like about their style and just give it a um, a finished look, you know, that 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 they don't obtain in pencil. But like I said, a lot of the people, probably most of the pencilers in the business these days, I think they basically they learn a lot of them learn to draw from looking at the finished inked product. So I think they felt pencils had to look like they were already inked. And that's why if you've ever seen pencils that haven't been inked, you'll notice that, man, I mean, they're etched in the paper and there's no, like, there's not a lot of room for interpretation, if any at all. Mm -hmm. So is it interesting, you know, as far as the art, um, the whole process right mm -hmm. behind it. Uh, there's certain things like I'm learning. Uh, so I got this page here from Captain America uh, 276. Okay. Um, which you and you and Mike worked on, right? Right. And if you, you look here at this uh, in the shadows behind, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they have Zipatone. Right. And um, so I, I'm just learning this, but Zipatone, can you, can you, Tell us what that is and, and uh, how that works. And, and is that something that you put on or is it something someone else does? Um, that would be something I would do. Um, basically what it is, and I guess you can still get it, but, you know, back then they actually, I think it was made by Letraset. It was actually called Zipatone. <laughs> you know? It would be uh, the, a low-tech, sheet of dots or some sort of pattern um that you would use in a in that instance it creates that little bit of illusion of more depth behind steve rogers coming out of the doorway mm -hmm. where you don't want a solid black but you want a darker color so in theory when that gets turned into the colorist if they just put the same color over top of the zipatone that color is going to tone down and it's not going to be black. It's going to be like a shade of gray. So it's Got going to be a val. It's going to be like a different value. 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. That's interesting. Thank you for uh, explaining that. Yeah. Um, so we we uh, we have a few questions from our listeners. Um, so uh, we'll ask just a few of those to to finish things up here. But um, Grant Ball uh, wants to learn more about your philosophy behind being an anchor, and and what makes someone a good anchor. Well, I, I don't really think I can ink uh, ink that. I don't think I can ink that. The answer is <laughs> um, no. I, I that's a tough thing to answer because again, I think it uh, goes back to personal taste. And I mean, there are things that you, you know, you have to consider what makes somebody good at something, you know, what makes them stand out. Uh, But in the, in the big picture, I mean, I know that everybody doesn't like my work, you know, it's like, that's just part of reality and you can't please everybody. So, you know, what I try to do is, in my work is I try to make it, let's just, you know, say attractive, I guess, to the eye. So it's pleasing and that people can understand and read it well. Um, and that it works over, um, different pencilers. So there's kind of like this, I kind of feel that you have a style that you develop while you're in the business. And when you're working, for Marvel DC, or maybe even, you know, somebody else in the publishing business, they expect that style out of you. If you suddenly do a 90 degree change of what they're used to seeing, you know, you get called a lot of names and stuff, you know? So it's like, once you establish a, a certain look or style, like people have referred to me and that's fine as, you know, a super clean and a tight anchor, you know? And that's kind of what I was going for. You know, I, I, I personally love loose, illustrative, uh, uh, interpretive inking, but it's hard for me to bring myself to do it um, because, number one, I know what people expect when, when they see my name, when they know I'm going to be on a project, they would know what they're going to get from my work tight, clean, precise inking, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I tried to, to do. Now, the few times I did experiment off of that, I would hear usually through a third party later on down the road that the editor hated that job I turned in. And it may have just been a one issue thing. Um, there was other times where I would get a job and I would talk to the penciler or maybe they would, you know, get a hold of me and say, Hey, I like what you do, but could you roughen it up a bit? You know, and I'm sure, Hey, you know, if that's the direction you want me to do, I can definitely roughen it up, you know? So, uh, like I said, it, it's, it's all kind of a popularity contest. It's like, who's the best penciler, you know? Um, you're, you ask 10 people, you might get 80% all saying the same thing or you might get 10 different answers, you know? So it's, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I guess I'll repeat myself and just say it, it, it's like what, you know, what attracted me to Mike Zeck's work when I was a, a kid, you know, um, it was certain things he did over and over and over, you know, that drew me 
to like really love looking at his work. So kind of the same answer with, with your question there is it's, yeah. I mean, there's certain guidelines, um, uh, you know, where, where stuff has, uh, uh, you can tell a professional quality job versus a amateur job pretty easy, sure, you know? Sure. Um, now when you get into independent comics, I think that's wide open, you know, they can get away with stuff that, you know, Marvel and DC is going to look at and go, how can we fit this into what we do, you know? And that's where I don't, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a fine line, you know, uh, I think there is room for all different styles. I just, it's like when Bill Sienkiewicz started experimenting, you know, it's like, a lot of people were like, what happened? You know, what's going on here? <laughs> right. You know, and, but now you look at Bill's stuff and you're like, wow. it's like me and Kirby. I didn't get it right away. It took me a while to understand Kirby. Now I look at stuff that Kirby did and I'm like, wow, that just, you know, knocks my socks off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, we got a, uh, we got another question from a listener, Joshua right. Daniel Van Dyne. Uh, he wonders why you worked on Cap so long. Was it uh, was it something about the character, uh, or was it just the fact that you liked working with Mike Zek? It was both. I, oh. you know, uh, Mike's favorite ca- uh, character is also Captain America, and Mike actually started. Uh, I think Mike did three years on the book, and I did two and a half. Uh, when he got on the book, um, there was a contract signed with a. a with some inkers to ink half a year and um, Frank McLaughlin, I believe. Right. Well, they draw studios and it was, uh, I can't remember what they called it. Um, but yeah, Frank was kind of heading it up. And, um, so I had to wait for their contract to expire because Mike, you know, I was, I was getting professional work from Marvel and DC and that's when I actually started the justice league. I got a call to do that monthly and um, I kind of didn't want to take it, but I knew it was going to be a while before I could take over cap, you know? So yeah, but I you're thinking for, George Perez. I mean, I, well, you know, I, and, and the, the funny thing about that is I got a call. I wasn't home. My mom took a note. Seems like my mom did a lot. <laughs> Your mom had a big role here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, it was it, it was Karen Berger. She was Lynn Wien's assistant. So she called me, left a message. I got home where it was around 7.30. I didn't know. I went ahead and called back. She was still in the office. And I think this was a Thursday or Friday night. And she said, oh, yeah, I was calling because, you know, we've been looking at your work you've been doing here and we need an inker on Justice League over George Perez. And we wanted to know if you'd be interested in inking it. And I was like, well, yeah, sure. And I said, but I said, don't send any pages because I had already planned a trip to come up. I I had my plane ticket and everything uh, the Monday after the weekend. So I said, I'll tell you what, I will, I will see you Monday and pick up the pages in person. So the trip was already planned. It was that fate call, you know, like, yeah, Hey, you, you want to do this? And yeah, sure. I'll, you know, 
don't even send them. I'm just, I'll come up and get them. So that's perfect. Yeah, it was great. Now the, the hard part was when it was time to leave the book. I had never quit a book before, so I didn't know how. <laughs> if you want to, if you want me to tell the story, I will. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, better hear it. Sure. Right. Hear that one. Yeah. You so, know, here, here's a young guy getting into the business, inking George Perez on DC's flagship title and saying, <laughs> I, I got to go. So yeah, yeah we got to hear this. I'm, I'm going to ink my exec on Captain America. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, you know, the, the, the six month period, you know, came and went, and I think I did four issues over George. Um, so I knew I had to clear that book, you know, I had to get rid of it so I could ink cap. So I'm really nervous, you know, it's like, I, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. But, you know, as I was getting closer to finishing up the book, I'm like, I, I have to let them know so they can find somebody else. You know, I don't want to leave them hanging. So I call up Len Wein and this is back when editors actually answered their phones and would have a talk with you, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I, got a hold of Lynn. And I told him, I said, Lynn, I said, uh, I said, I got a call from Marvel. They want me to ink Captain America over Mike Zek. Uh, and I kind of threw this in thinking it would help because I didn't know what else to do. I said, and they're, they're offering me a better page rate. <laughs> yeah. So I figured like, was that know, true? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, yes and no. DC was giving me a whole $5 more for doing breakdowns, inking. George, George, what he turned in was basically breakdowns, but you know, George, there was more there. He was one of the guys that would put more in on his breakdowns than some people would on their finished pencils. Yes. Especially back in that time. Um, so with the, with the $5 more, it was, uh, maybe DC was really paying me like 50 cents more per page. But the actual page rate was more. So, and it was 35, 30, I think Marvel was offering me 32 or $35 a page at DC. I was 27.50 with the $5 for finishes. I think it's, it's been long enough. I can tell those rates you know, yeah, <laughs> and kind of put things into perspective. Right. 40 uh, years later. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. 32 or $35 a page. I think it was 32 actually, because that would make the 50 cents more over at, uh, at DC. That's 1981 money. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so, you know, it was like, I, I realized that was the wrong approach because I had already told Mike, yes. And Lynn said, did you give them an answer yet? And I was like, uh, no. And he's, you know, I was kind of panicking. So it, it came out. No. And he's like, let me get right back to you. I need to talk to some people. Click. And I thought, oh God, what have I done? Lynn's going to go. Get <laughs> Lynn's going to go get me uh, at least a higher rate or match the rate. And then what's my excuse for leaving? Except I just got to go. Uh, Captain America is my favorite cover. I get a chance to ink Mike Zek full time. Got to go, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for going to bat to me but yeah I right so what happened what did len say he 
he called back and he said, you know, he goes, uh, I got you a little bit of a bump, but it's not going to meet Marvel. Uh, you know, we, we can't go that high, which seems kind of funny now. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we, we can't go that high. He goes, so, and, and this is, this is when I could finally relax. He goes, so if you, you know, if you really need to take that book, I, I totally understand. And man, you talk about pressure being, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, when he just let me off that easy, like, it, you know, Hey, I understand if, if, you know, and I said, well, yeah, I said, you know, I still got to finish that the book I'm working on now, the last one. And I said, but you know, I really want to ink Captain America and work with Mike Zek. And that was the rest pretty is much, history. That was history. Boy, I'll tell you. But I, you know, like I said, that's not how you quit a book. You, <laughs> like, yeah. you, you just tell them it's time to move on. You know, it's like you you got an offer you'd rather work on. And hey, believe me, you know, had it had 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 I not had this relationship with Mike and and this had not happened, I would have been content inking George on Justice League for a long time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't? Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was an easy decision, but when you look back at it, it's like, how did you give that up? And I'm like, well, you know, without Mike Zach, I wouldn't even be inking George probably, you know? Right. So. Wow. It, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you shared that story with us. That's right. It's pretty funny. Um, it is. And we have uh, one final question from the listeners and that is okay. um, uh, Stephen Penipede. Uh, he wants to know, uh, how are you doing? after your eye surgery um because we we actually had on the captain america facebook group we had your gofundme page mm -hmm. and uh number one and number two has that changed how you work at the drawing board um yes uh it went fine except i i didn't know about this uh uh what they call yag i, I it's something that uh, I guess the best thing I can describe it as some sort of like spiderweb stuff grows over the, um, the lenses, the plastic lenses that they put in your eyes. And normally 30% of the people that have the surgery get it. So it has to be lasered off. Um, I had to live with it from when I got my surgery done last year until the beginning of this year. And then they had to do one eye at a time. And so I was still dealing with it. And, um, you know, it, it, it helped a little bit, but my, my distance vision and mid vision is fine, but my close up vision, which they, for, this is really interesting. The panoptic lenses I got are three depths, uh, lenses, and they can't guarantee that you'll have your close up vision but they can guarantee mid range and far away. So right now the, the biggest struggles for me are light sensitivity, which I heard is, um, you know, because when you, when you have cataracts, you're all clouded up and, you know, you, you, it got to the point where my night driving, luckily I knew the roads <laughs> around, around where I live because it's not safe to drive when you, when all the lights just look like, you know, you're in a, uh, a heavy downpour, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, as far as vision, I, I don't need glasses for distance or, or mid range or anything like that. That's the good part. The bad part is I still have light sensitivity, uh, which does, you know, I mean, underneath the drawing table with the lights, it's, it's kind of hard. And I do need to wear a pair of readers to when I'm like actually inking or drawing just for the close up work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I'll tell you this, it's interesting because I'm not used to like, you know, I'm used to having as you know, maybe you have seen at conventions, you'll see someone working on a drawing and their nose is like almost on the drawing board, you know, they're mm -hmm. up close. And that's how I was for a long, long time. You know, you get that way, but you become accustomed to it. So now when I do a signature or if I'm doing something, if I pull back a little bit, it's okay. But you know, my nature is to lean forward so i haven't broke that habit because i've done it for so many years mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean the light sensitivity i asked about that and they basically just said you will eventually adjust to it there's no timeline you know so these bright sunny florida days not that we're having them now but when we do have them man i gotta wear sunglasses or you know it's so bright outside and even my my desk lamps when I'm drawing, it's like I can turn them down lower now and get enough light in my eye to to see. And a pair of readers, which aren't very strong, I think I use the uh, the one point two five. So I think just the one point zero zero, the you know, mm -hmm. the lowest you can go or whatever. And then I found that the one point two five works fine for me. Well, uh, we. We wish you a speedy recovery and a full recovery uh, because I know you, you spend a lot of time with the board. Um, you do a lot of commission work. Right. Um, I, I was very excited to get a cap piece from you and, and, and Zach uh, in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and you also do pencil ink commissions uh, as right. well as cover recreations. Mm -hmm. um, our, our listeners, uh, I encourage you to check out John's work at his website, which is johnbadyart.com. And um, what, what else do you have going on currently or anything coming up? Um, well, you know, conventions are, are coming back slowly. So I've got a few shows planned uh, for the rest of the summer and, and into the fall. Um, I've got a couple of uh, bigger commissions that I will start working on. And then I also actually have some commissions left over from last year that I still need to complete. So, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just a mixed bag of stuff and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, narrow down what I do. Um, I am trying to get back onto some sort of a semi-regular YouTube or maybe Twitch stream because I used to, I think in 2018, I started doing like a, because I get up early, but I would, I, I had an office then and COVID kind of made it impossible for me to keep that. So I'm back home. And so I would, I get up at four o'clock and I would be down there. And with my son being in school too, that causes another, you know, can't really get the early start because got to get him off to school. Mm -hmm. Either my wife or I, we drive him and pick him up. So uh, but I, I, for a while was starting a, a, like a live stream, 
just doing a warm up drawing every morning for like it's seven o'clock in the morning, you know. So I was an extremely early streamer, which oh. I don't mind, you know, but I, I can't fit that into a workable schedule here at the house. It's hard. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye out for that. And uh, if you do have any Captain America or Cap related commissions, uh, we, we certainly hope that you post them in the, the, the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group because uh, we know you're a member there. So uh, please yeah. share them there so we can all appreciate them. Okay. Uh, and John, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. So, um, and we, we appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing some stories, uh, uh, about your early work and, and your time on cap. So thank you for, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Take Absolutely. Care, well, that was a fun conversation with John. Uh, he took us down, uh, some, some fun stories behind the scenes. Uh, you know, and, and of course the more and more we ever hear about Mike Zek, he just sounds like a true gentleman, he does. Uh, you know, Boy a great guy uh, helping various people out in the industry. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, how about that story, uh, you know, with Jim Shooter, taking him, taking him uh, into the office, getting called into the, uh, the principal's office. Uh, you know, right. I got to wonder, you know, I got to wonder what, like that just doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. I mean, that's, that was precipitated by some piece of art that, that maybe set Jim off that he didn't I'm not saying something that Zach or Beatty worked on, but something else must have stood out as like an egregious example of that, where uh, it was just like, I, I just can't take that anymore. You know, hey, look, you know, the thing is, uh, John, John shared a lot of great stories, a lot of details. And, you know, we've had this discussion before offline, and I think even online, where sometimes some guests are like, you're, you're like, so what's your, what's your philosophy of, you know, X, Y, Z? And they're like, seven. <laughs> and that's the, that's the answer, right? You yeah. can't like, you can't pull anything out of that. Yes. And we had one or two of those here on the show. Right. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was not a problem today. Not a problem. No, John was a great guest that we enjoyed having him on and um, enjoyed uh, continuing the conversation here and there on the, the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group. So um, if you haven't been on there, check it out. Uh, we've got, I mean, more and more, we're over 4,000 now. So it's, uh, it's great and it's growing and, and um, people are, are, the content is great and the conversation is great. So we love that. All right, Bob. Well, uh, as always, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. It has. It has. Until next time. All right. Until then, I'm Rick Forbanis. He's Bob Lucius. And you've been listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. <laughs>